0: Hello everybody. Welcome to the show tonight. It's time that we once again convene to discuss all things Seattle Seahawks. I am Brendan. That is Brandon. And we've got a game to talk about tonight. We've got a big one. Well, every game's big in the NFL. You only play 17 of them, right?
1: You better believe it. They all count. They all matter.
0: (laughs) Yep. So... We got to set the stage for this upcoming game against the Arizona Cardinals, our first game of two against that team this year. So uh, how are you doing tonight, Brandon?
1: I'm doing really good. Hoping we can get a get get back right game. Hope we get the the fan base re-engaged, those that have been led a little astray off the back of this Bengal loss. But I'm doing good and still feeling really overall really good about this team.
0: And um, I, I, as you should be, I believe. I believe that there's a lot of things to be happy and encouraged about when it comes to this team. And I think that after this game, people are going to be more on board with things. I think that uh, it's people. People are going to turn around on this one pretty quickly. But uh, first, I guess we can open up with a little bit of uh, news from the uh, team. But basically, just injury news, right? We've got some injury things going on with the uh, with the Seahawks. The whole offensive line is either limited or out of practice right now. So we don't know what kind of offensive line we're going to have yet. Uh, Charbonnet was a surprise scratch. He is not practicing right now. And maybe this explains why he barely played against the Bengals. Maybe there was something going on there that we just didn't know about. Um, Metcalf's not practicing, but I got no concerns there. I don't think there's any concern about him not playing. Um, we've got Trey Brown. It seems like he's all the way there now. So that's obviously good news. He had a toe injury yesterday, but things look good there. Artie Burns working his way back. Looks like he'll be able to play Lockett It looks like he'll be able to play. That's really about it. So that's the injury stuff. Cardinals, um, actually look like they're going to be down their best cornerback with uh, Hamilton missing practice two days in a row. Buda Baker expected to return. Uh, no Kyler Murray though. Some people were saying that Kyler might play because he was practicing this week, but that's very clearly, I think a Jamal Adams type situation where he needs to practice for a few weeks before he can actually play.
1: Yeah. Agreed. I see it the same way. Uh, there's no chance I see him playing this week.
0: Uh, we know, no James Connor. We've known that for a couple weeks now. He went on IR a couple games ago, which is a big deal. He was their MVP through the first several games Um, we've, we've got a couple other little depth things going on there. Like, uh, Wilkinson, one of their offensive linemen got a neck injury today, and now we don't know what's going on there. Uh, A couple guys on like the offensive and defensive lines, but that's basically a pretty good rundown of what's going on with the, uh, injury situation. So with all that being caught up on, let's jump into the fray here with these Arizona Cardinals. Let's talk about them the best that we can. Broadly speaking, though, you gotta say this team has looked more competitive over the first month plus of the season than we expected, right?
1: Uh very much so from my perspective. I, I know that the Rams friends bristled at this when we were talking about the the Rams being in a tank mode right now, but I think that indeed this this Cardinal team leaned into this tank. They I think started to look at the Kyler Murray situation far out in advance and say, okay. Let's start to maybe turn this over. Let's start to maybe get away from this. And um, instead of that, they've come out, even having made a lot of trades right before the start of the season to move some guys that have been pretty good players for them. Instead of that, they've actually been a really, I I don't only got one win on the year. It is against the Cowboys. Um, They haven't had the easiest of schedules either um, necessarily. I mean, they've had a couple of Giants commanders in there, but Um, They've been solid and they've been strong in every game to me. They've, they put up a good fight in every game. I just was finishing up watching some of the Rams tape from last week, Brendan, on this one. And I, man, they gave, they gave them a tough time in that one. I know the Rams ended up kind of distancing themselves away 26 26, nine at the end of the game, but uh, for being a team that doesn't have a lot of guys out there on that field that are dangerous they uh they make it happen and they do it with effort and they do it by being fundamentally sound and uh they don't they don't shoot themselves in the foot very often it seems like through these first few weeks
0: yeah that's the sense i'm getting too so do you think jonathan gannon might actually be pretty not bad after all after every indication was he was going to be awful is he actually maybe doing okay
1: is it goes higher than i had him as i had him like down here i feel like uh you know the uh Uh, Starsky and Hutch movie, you know, where Snoop tells, he goes, tells Starsky, he's like, Hey, you just moved up one notch in my book. And he's like, that puts you at one. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel a little bit like with Gannon, like, okay, yeah, he's gone up. Now he's up to one, you know, I, I still don't know if I have a tremendous amount of faith in him as a coach, but you cannot, you've got to lot him and give him ultimate credit here for getting this team to buy in and play this way when it's going to be hard. If you have an NFL team, Brendan, doesn't it? If you got a team that knows you can't get a lie to these guys, you know, they're going to know when you're in, in sort of a tank mode or you're not going to be competitive and to get them that team to play, knowing it's dealing with that. I know they're all professionals. I know they all get paid, but it's an easier said than done thing, right? Human mentality is always still at play. Human nature is still always
0: at play. All right. So let's start with this Cardinals offense. That's the side of the ball that's been okay so far this year, I think. Joshua Dobbs has been better than I expected. Not really good, but not bad either. Kind of just quietly effective. A uh, dual threat quarterback does some damage with his legs. Um, Overall, right now, they are 20th in the league in points and 15th in yards. So you could call them just barely below average. However, a lot of that was being done on the back of James Conner, who looks like he has regained a lot of his form from 2021, I believe it was, after not really playing that well last year. So without James Conner, what do you expect from this Arizona Cardinals offense?
1: It does limit them, I think, because they make the they make the running game dangerous uh, when he's in there. And then you've got to start – it's more of the eight-man boxes. And then you get everything congested inside there. And Dobbs has been one of the better quarterbacks outside the pocket throughout the course of this year. Keep him in the pocket. He's limited. Get him out the pocket. He's dangerous. And once you have men in the box stacking it up in there – to take the running game away, that does leave a lot of openings or can tend, typically can tend to leave openings up the field then to the edges then away from the box. And I, watching some of the tape, that's where they have gotten a lot of their free plays from, where he's just kind of improvising and then ro- rotate it, rolling out on the side. He makes good decisions out there. He's not going to, you know, three interceptions on the year, but he's not going to have a lot of those boneheaded mistakes. He'll run wide. If it's not there, he'll throw it away or he'll run it. And he knows which to use at which point. So he's he's been very heady at the quarterback position. His arm is limited. Man, he's got, he's got the the Brock Purdy, you know, the ball's coming out and there's a little bit of a, a puff of, you know, just a little pillowy as it's coming out of his hand, like he's throwing a pillow rather than a football. But um, he is pretty accurate, and uh, decision-making has been smart when he's in the pocket. So he's not going to push the ball up the field a lot, though. He's going to dink and dunk you. He's going to take the check down. He's going to try to, you know, he'll he'll every, every once in a while try to push a ball up the field. But when he does so, you do get the sense for the lack of velocity and you know, it's just the guy, there was one play against the Rams where he's trying to go to Hollywood Brown. Brown's got some separation. Safety's closing over the top, and I think the safety got there in time to kind of knock the ball away or get Brown pushed out of bounds to where there was no angle for him to make the catch. And that's that arm strength really showed up on that kind of play, in my opinion.
0: So with Dobbs obviously being a bit of a dual-threat quarterback, somebody who will run as much as he'll pass, do you think this is a week where maybe we go back to a slightly softer defense more of a zone because we need to protect against his scrambles compared to some of the previous weeks?
1: I think you are aware of it, but I think you've also got to dial up more pressures than what you did with Burrow and on the same end of this, because this is a young player who's not played a lot. And if you have a young quarterback there, I want to test him with pressure packages to make the right decision. I don't think you go hog wild with it, but more than we saw last week, less than we saw with the Giants. Right. Like maybe a maybe a happy middle ground between that as far as your blitz rate goes. Um, I think having a little bit of a spy situation with Jordan Brooks in this game at times might be smart with him because I don't think he's as, as cleanly going to go through his reads and always find the opening in the hole in your zone to your point on running some of the soft zone. Like he won't always find the right decision. He ain't going to be like Stafford or Goff or even Dalton. I'm being picture perfect on his pre-snap reads to post-snap execution, so I I would trust in that a little bit. But you got to run some of those pressures because you know what that does to those young quarterbacks, Brendan. You know it makes them really jumpy and it gets them making bad decisions more often than not.
0: So without James Conner, this offense um, is kind of all about Hollywood Brown, who you mentioned a minute ago as their playmaker. He's having a good year so far. He's on pace to have one of his better NFL seasons so far. He might have a hundred catches, not really efficient, but he is making some big <laughs> plays. Um, so one thing that I've really noticed though, is this Cardinals team seems to really like doing end arounds and getting the ball in the hands of their wide receivers via the running game. Rondell Moore alone has 11 rushing attempts so far this season And that was something they actually used to some degree of effectiveness against the uh, Bengals, misdirection. seemed Mm -hmm. like there was a lot of that going around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Taking a of the aggressiveness of the Bengals defense, which we didn't do.
0: (laughs) Right. So I would expect to see more of that because when they don't have Connor to just plow it up the middle, they got to rely on a little bit of misdirection and trickery to make things happen.
1: Yeah. And then the, your backup backs don't really have. I mean, what they've used Rondell a little bit, even at times as a running back uh, here and there, which is interesting use of him because he's kind of unique. He's got that extra speed that nobody else has there. I mean, when Keontae Ingram's in there or Damian Willis is in there, Williams is in there, those are just kind of grinder backs. You know, they're not going to get be guys that are, you like to your point, going to be able to hit on outside zone or pitch plays or work to the edges. So, you know, they are a little limited with those backs. But, and Connor's that way too, kind of, but Connor's a real. Difficult guy to get down, even knowing he's going to attack between the tackle box. You know, he's going to be an A-B gap runner, but he does that well. Um, they don't have the speed necessarily to counter you now with these guys they got in there. So it does limit them, I think, offensively speaking in their ground game. But the fly sweep element going to be in play here. Um, even uh, even Hollywood Brown, a guy that's not a fly sweep guy, has got a one carry for 29 yards on the year on a fly sweep. So, you know, they they will use that part. They will test you because they don't have the backs who can do it by that way.
0: Yeah, um I think there's this one play where they did the uh I think they had like one of their wide receivers line up as the quarterback and do the wildcat, pretend mm. to hand it off to the fly sweep guy and then go the other way, and it worked really well. So it seems like this offense has to rely a little more on trickery now that um uh they d- they don't have the uh James Conner effect, but uh another guy on this offense really worth talking about is Michael Wilson who has been awesome yeah. so far and I liked him to an ex- to a point in the draft, I didn't like him that much, and I'm surprised to see him being one of the best rookie receivers so far.
1: I think something that's been said that we have to carry forward when we look at this the this upcoming year in scouting as, as a recent trajectory of guys at the receiver position, specifically, Brendan, that have started to, as a trend, show itself up. And that is that receivers that go to the senior bowl and perform really well at the senior bowl tend to do very good as pros. Cooper Cup. Senior Bowl wide receiver Puka Nuka, Senior Bowl wide receiver Tank Dell, Senior Bowl wide receiver Michael Wilson, Senior Bowl wide receiver. You can go through some of these guys that went to that Senior Bowl and 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 the ones that perform well there, Brendan, right? That separate themselves from other. College competition trying to bang their way into the NFL. And this guy was one of those guys. And the key with him was that it was a matter of he would have been a higher rated prospect, but the injury bug bit him and bit him hard in the butt there at Stanford. And that was a on top of the fact quarterback play there was a little bit of an inhibiting factor at the receiver position. He uh he wasn't able, to, I think, to, to show as much, but he's got natural good talent, good size frame, good explosiveness, um, great, great catch radius, very strong hands. He just didn't see it a lot coming out of Stanford. But <laughs> that didn't mean that it wasn't there in him. And uh, he was balling out there at Senior Bowl. He got a lot of praise coming out of there.
0: Yeah, so there there is a little bit of stuff going on here with this Cardinals team. But um, given their personnel, I do expect them to be pretty pass heavy in this game. I think that without Connor, they are going to have to wing it around a little bit. So it is going to be not not anywhere near the kind of test we had against the Bengals, but it is going to be it's going to be a different kind of test because I do think the Cardinals, we might even see a few trick plays from them because they're going to be trying to find ways to make up for not having their bell cow back.
1: They'll also probably lean a little more than we've in recent history. They've been all spread based in their concepts with Kyler Murray there. Their offense is going to look a little bit closer akin to what even ours looks like. They drafted that kid that uh, traded McBride a couple of years ago, and they pair him up still with Zach Ertz, who's a million years old. But that does give them two feasible tight ends for the 12 personnel. They do utilize the 12. They will go to three tight ends like we do. So it's a, this is going to be a different Cardinal offense that we're going to face this year than what we faced in the past as well. It's going to look a little bit more less of the college conceptual and a little bit more of what you see pro. I mean, a lot. we're going to get a lot of um, Dobbs under center in this game, for instance. Um, they run a lot of that. So we how we play that, how we manage that is also going to be very important in this game. Uh,
0: what do you think of this Cardinals offensive line? How do, how do you feel about that unit?
1: I think the uh, the tackles are doing pretty good to my eyes on the game film that I've watched. I think Paris Johnson's acclimating himself well over at right tackle so far. Um, we thought they're going to do them a guard, but I've seen him at right tackle. And the tackles seem to be doing pretty good, especially in this Rams game. Rams don't have a lot of edge rushers, but they weren't, able to do a whole lot um up on the edges. Now where they were able to get some work in and where I've seen some other teams have some success is in the interior. You've got to go after this Cardinals offense offensive line from the inside. If you're looking for a guy to me to say, who's going to have maybe a breakout game here or be a guy to look at in this game, Draymond Jones to me, this is a game where he could really go out there and hunt. And Aaron Donald had some really freaky moments there with the Rams going up against him where he just wasn't it, there wasn't even a close to being blocked and it was you know a, ba- a just completely whiff kind of block on there so i i think that's where we're going to get our our pressure in this game in a lot of respects because the tackles are going to hold up relatively well but that's the place to attack to me is up, up in the middle of this offensive line that's where they are most vulnerable that into those interior three center guards on both sides
0: yeah uh, left guard is wilkinson who showed up with a neck injury D- dnp today So they might not even have him. He's been awful. PFF hates him. They think he's one of the worst players in the league. And, uh, yeah, then you got Will Hernandez on the other side. He's been around a while.
1: And he's never been really liked at any of the spots he's gone to either. You know, he's never been a guy that's like, yeah, Will is one of the answers for us on our line. You know, the Giants couldn't, the Giants fans couldn't wait to get rid of that guy out of there.
0: Yeah. First round pick, right?
1: Yeah. A guy who's highly touted, just never, never did the light go on with him. And, um, I uh, it's this, there's so many snaps just watching a couple of their games of quick DJ reader with the Pangles, And I, there's going to be some quick pressure potential from the inside in there. And Dobbs is hard to get down. He's a, he's a quick little cat and he's escapable, but man, they, that's where you, they, when I look at the biggest weakness for this team, I know playmaker is not so great running back, not so great, but it might be the interior line for the, the Cardinals. That is their most weakest point on this offense.
0: Yeah, and I've never heard of their center before. I got to be honest, Froholt. Never, never heard of him before.
1: You got me on that one too. I, I don't. I, I, it sounds relatively familiar, but I can't, I can't place him. What was he? What was he? Uh,
0: he was a Razorback, drafted twenty nineteen in the fourth round.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm blank. We usually have seen a fourth round guy. We would like relatively would remember him, but I, he's, it's not ringing any, uh, any bells to me. But. Yeah. That's, that's especially with Elijah Wilkinson being questionable and not at his hundred percent because they're back up Dennis Daly, Keith Ishmael. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's going to still be even more exposed at that point. So I, I, this is where we come back to the pressure stuff too, Brendan. What's been the best blitz look for us. The two have been sending either Witherspoon off the edge as a slot blitz guy or double a gap pressure with Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner right up over the center. Right. right. And test you got a a backup guard in there you got the weakness that line this is where i go that's that would be a part of my attack if i'm the hawks that i would lock into utilizing a lot even if it's just to show them it a lot you know not necessarily to send the guys but just to constantly make Dobbs think about it coming and then drop out of it It, 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 even at a high prevalence
0: so Ertz is putting up okay numbers he's got 24 catches through six games but do you think he's actually still good at his advanced age do you think he still has like plus play in the tank for this team.
1: I think that he's maybe a marginally above average center at this point in time. I mean, he's two, he's been in the league for over 10 years. You know, he's probably reaching to that stage of his career. Greg Olson was right. Kind of a similar trajectory where when he's on the field, I know Greg wasn't functional at the end very much, but he's maybe a little more functional than Greg, but probably the same point where the body's not really well held together anymore. It's like one injury away from probably being decimated. But here's the thing, Brendan. I mean, they, took Trey McBride in the second round, not two years ago, a guy that neither you nor I were particularly high on uh, because we had a lot of Hawk fans that were looking at him as a potential option at that time. And he's not been able to crack Zach away, right? And that's one where that does speak to me of, well, where is that Trey McBride sucks? You know, he can't crack into that spot where this is really should be his time, year three, or it's older than dirt, but you can't. That Leads me to believe it's one or the other, um, and so probably a bit of both, actually. Rather than being one or the other, it's probably a little bit of
0: both. So that's a pretty good rundown of that Cardinals offense. They got a little bit going at receiver because Michael Wilson's so good, but other than that, there isn't really a lot to talk about. They're getting some okay play from like their tackles, like you said, their quarterback, but as of right now, it's a bad NFL offense, like they're 20th in points, and that was with mostly James Conner. Now, without him. That's a bad offense. So you you mentioned Draymond Jones is somebody who you're looking for to have a big game. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Is there anything else you want to see from the defense in this game in particular?
1: I think you've got to – the zone stuff and the mixture of it is totally true, but then at the heart of this has got to be a game where you force, much like you would with a Brock Purdy, You can't let Josh Dobbs beat you escaping out the pocket, making throws outside the pocket, number one. So you've got to get your contain right. And this is what might impact a little bit of the edge rush. On top of having the good tackles by the Cardinals, you're going to want to mush rush it, right, so that you can keep Dobbs contained inside because you know how dangerous he's been when you've got to let him get outside the pocket. So you've you've got to contain that, but then you've also got to force Josh Dobbs to beat you down the field with his arm. You can't let him dink and dunk you. You can't let him Brock Purdy you to death. Because he will, and I'm watching his tape. He's not going to be an impatient quarterback back there. He will take what you give him. He's locked in in that realm, and he's going to make smart decisions with that. So that's where we get to some of the blitz looks. That's where we get to some of the maybe more pressure-based looks from the Seahawks in this upcoming matchup, just to a degree. Um, And I don't know if we're going to get that or not, but I, I would try to mix that up a little bit just in this game between those two things and, and, you know, keep him on his toes, you know, with a rookie, you want to send a lot of different looks his way and keep him thinking. The more you got him thinking, the less you got him just out there playing free and easy, you know, like it's backyard football, which is how he kind of, it's what he's kind of done up to this point, Dobbs. You know, he kind of backyards football, like, Oh, the one read ain't there. I'll kind of roll around and scramble out and get away. And maybe I'll just run with the ball and don't make it that simple and easy for him. Make it complicated, make it difficult, make him think.
0: All right. So I was looking at some data, this week from uh PFF and they had blitz rates. It's hard to find some of this stuff, but they have uh blitz percentages for each team. Mm-hmm. And they had the Seahawks basically right in the middle, mm-hmm. like slightly below. And the reason why they were below was actually because they had a low percentage of run blitzes in terms of pass blitzes. They were actually slightly above average right around, but right around average, which mm-hmm. is obviously a huge departure from, most Seahawks teams in recent memory. It was around like, I, I think it was somewhere around like 28%. Whereas mm-hmm. I think last year it was 15 or 16%. That's right. Your numbers so are so you're hoping we can kind of keep that uh, ratio up, right?
1: The whole thing I've been banging on for years with this and talking to you about it is that the Seahawks needed to dial up more pressures and blitzes. But it's not a matter of I'm looking for them to go to Blitz City and turn into a top five, top 10 unit. They needed to take themselves from 28, which, Brendan, when you talk about last year, I believe they were 31st with that 15% rate. So you needed to take yourself from back end, 31, 32, and move yourself up into the middle of the road. And tell me if you're buying what I'm selling on this in the respect of what that does, Brendan, and what it did over the years. And part of the reasons that teams could find solutions for our defense was because of the predictable nature of the defense, right? Both predictable by the coverages you ran, but also predictable by the thought that you're not going to blitz. I know you're dropping into soft zone coverage to depth, and I know you're not blitzing. Those are the two things I can say with almost ultimate certainty on a Seahawks defense when I played you for years online. So when you take yourself from 32 just to 15, you're taking yourself from we don't ever blitz to we will blitz occasionally on you. And that alone can have a huge effect to now remove from that quarterback's thought process of, I know with almost 100% certainty, this one thing will not happen on this play. I can take this off of my processing. I don't have to process this within my play now, to now I have to have it processed. To Now I have to think about, wait, they do now start to blitz a little more. Now I got to think about it a little bit more. We make them think, we add an advantage onto the table um, instead of removing it off like we had in years prior. And I think that that's that's what you got to stay in there, Brendan. They don't have to get to top 10, but they got middle of the road can have just as much of a, that powerful effect when you're coming from 32 to 15 as going from 15 to top three. Right. Wouldn't you say it's kind of an equivalency? Are you buying that?
0: No. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm totally on board with that. I mean, this is the stuff we've been calling for, for a while now, just do something different because what we were doing had not produced noticeably good results for years. Like, it produced a couple above-average years, a couple average years, some bad years, an awful year. Like, you had to try something from a different angle here. And some of these teams, like, even a team, I would say, like the Cardinals, even though they basically blew up their um, coaching staff in front office this last offseason, when you are running the same thing for years and years and years and eventually gets up to decades, they're going to get really familiar with what you do if you never change it. It's, um, I think that even a good defense or a good offense, eventually it gets stale against your divisional opponents in particular. So you had to do something to change it up. And my my only hope, what I'm really hoping for is just the players continue to do it well. Because like we talked about a couple days ago, the moment they stop doing it well and start giving up a lot of big plays is the moment we go back to it, the old stuff.
1: It's very true. It's very true. You know, Carroll gets a couple of deep shots hit over the top because he's blitzed and he's certainly going to get into that dodgy ways. But this is where we get to the encouraging part, the change of defense to allow you to have zone drops with the outside linebackers bringing personnel that are accommodated and understand how to blitz, how to time it up, how to, you know, uh, Jamal in that time blitz on Daniel Jones. You know, he showed off that, that one moment he had in that one game to do it where Daniel Jones, he shows you, it's not just about his little bend and quickness he brings. It's also about his understanding of not to show my hand. You know, Daniel didn't know he was blitzing. I guarantee if Daniel known any blitzing, he wouldn't have turned around and had him right there and been shocked by him. But it's because he waits till Daniel's heads turned around before he starts taking those final steps to the line of scrimmage, timing it right before the snap happens and then able to have forward momentum and debate, you know, almost at full speed within two steps off the snap because of a little bit of that timing he has for it. You got it across the line, Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, Devin Witherspoon. You got the man corners. You've got the setup now to be able to accommodate it, to bring it successful. So it's not like it was, if it was in 2018, 19, where you didn't have the guys. So Brendan, to your point, if you tried to run the blitz with those guys, you were going to be likely to give up the big plays because you didn't have the players that were programmed in their being and how they, how they were built as football players to execute those type of plays.
0: Right, right. Uh, back in 2018, we did have Coleman on the Blitz. I always thought he was a pretty good Blitzer at the, the nickel corner. But that's other true. than that, you're right. We didn't have a heck of a lot going on there.
1: We just didn't bring him a lot. We did not We did send him to, but we didn't send him a whole lot either. You know, that's the thing. He was good at it, but even the guys you had were good at it. Bobby was good at it. Didn't send him a, a high rate of time um, to take best advantage of that I mean, at times, maybe.
0: All right. So... Um, I think that's a fairly exhaustive rundown of this Cardinals offense. There isn't a lot to say with no Connor. They're just kind of like, they're bad, but they're generically bad. Right? They're, they're not awful. They're not worst in the league. They're just kind of like bad. They're like, uh, I, I don't know the teenage, teenage mutant Ninja Turtles movie that came out nine years ago. It was bad, but it wasn't as bad as I thought.
1: No, no. I thought that they were going to be a, an S show this year, that they would be, you know, Gannon wouldn't have the locker room. Half of them would have a foot out the door, already thinking about Cancun in September. But that's not been the case. He's got the buy-in. And when you got NFL, the NFL talent with parity across the board, if you got a team buying in and playing strong and playing hard, that's worth something. That's going to make it a tough test against you, um, no matter what the talent discrepancy might be between the two teams
0: let's see here. Jeffrey A Thistle. Thank you for the $2. Oh god, we're about to lose to the cards, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, hope not, man. I hope not.
0: You know I they mean, don't even want to win really, right? They won the one game they really wanted to win this year against Dallas and now they're like, "Okay, let's just put up a fight and lose every other game we play."
1: If I had to give if I had to say you got to you got to make a, a guess on this and you got to have a, a like your gut instinct on this, has that owner had a conversation with Gannon about that? Like, I'm not going to tell you to out and out lose, but if we have a situation like Lovey Smith last year at the end and we're driving down and you can, you know, just maybe, you know, take a knee metaphysically, you know, metaphorically speaking, uh, (laughs) do you think that that conversations happened between those two at some point?
0: I I mean, they did blow a 28 to seven lead to Daniel Jones. I, I'm just saying I, I wouldn't be, especially this Caleb
1: Williams year, you know, this is a unique quarterback out there. I know he had a bad week this last week, but you know, uh, and understanding they are not sold in on Kyler Murray, Brendan, we know that, you know, that they're not bought in on him, that being the case, you know, you're right. It it doesn't mean now that they're trying to just tell their guys to lay over, but comes down to certain decisions in the game, you know, whether to go for, whether to punt, whether to play conservative, whether to play it like, you know, maybe, maybe not. Not going to have the the just, you know, let it rip kind of Cardinals. Who knows? We'll see on that. But I don't think, Jeffrey, I think we're going to be good this week. The loss last week, I think, causes this game to not really be in in the, the realm of being a game you'll overlook this opponent. You know, if you've been four wins in a row uh, coming into this game, maybe that's something we talk about. But not after the loss last week, not after having two losses already on the year, I think this team will take them seriously. And I'm expecting actually this to be a pretty big, um, I'm not going to say beat down, but I don't think that this is going to be a particularly close game.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling too badly about this one either, personally. We'll talk more about it at the end of the show. But uh, speaking of Caleb, have you heard some of the uh, new reports?
1: <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely I, just ridiculous.
0: I, I mean, he's he's good, but uh, this is getting a little goofy now, isn't it?
1: I, I, You know, I don't like the diva stuff with quarterbacks. I don't like it. I, I, rally against, I rail against it. I don't. I really, really hate it. And I wish it would die out as soon as possible in this modern era. This is the type of stuff I'm talking about. You're, you're above the team. You're more important to the team. You, 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 you. We're playing a team sport. It's not about you. And to think that the NFL owners would give this kid a pathway, Brendan, to having ownership stake, that they would allow that to be something that could happen in the first place is ridiculous. But the fact that he would even start to broach this and put this on the table, I was with them when they wanted to say, look, don't send us to a bad organization and we're going to have some control over that. I'm okay with that. I draw the line when you start thinking that you should get, without throwing a single NFL pass, that you should get a piece of ownership in an NFL team. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous and out of pocket on their part. That kid's ego is starting to grow just a wee bit too big here.
0: Yeah. um, I kind of feel like he needs to very quickly here release a statement saying like, oh, that was just my dumb agent opening his mouth. That's not me. I promise. Like, and then he needs to fire the agent and find another one, because uh, I remember, um Russell Wilson, after his rookie year, there was a report that came out that said he wants to get extended now. Yeah like he was trying to get extended after his first season. That's right. And then, which is, of course, literally impossible. It cannot happen.
1: But it makes like, sense like, that you had a, a baseball agent, Mark Rogers, who didn't know yeah. the details of football and would have asked for that. Yeah.
0: So Wilson came out and said, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't know where that came from, guys. Somebody made that up. Like, like yeah. no, no. So, um, you know, that's what Caleb needs to do. He needs to th- jump on this very quickly and just go like, no, no, I, I promise I didn't ask for that. It's not a
1: great look. And I, I don't know a lot of fans that are gonna be like, yeah, he should be asking for that. Yeah, it's yeah, get your get your ownership stake without ever playing in the NFL, you know. So a defensive tackle who's played 10 years in this league, no, he shouldn't have an ownership stake. He's has body beaten over 10 times, gone through 30 surgeries, but no, you because you're a quarterback, you you should get an ownership stake. Get the F out of here. Like, you know, put the ego away, quarterbacks. You aren't that you aren't that special. You know, sorry, I love Caleb to death, but that's it's a ridiculous. It's completely ridiculousness on his part. He's feeling himself. It's almost kind of like he was like, the people didn't blow back on me for saying that I wasn't going to accept being going to the team that picked me. You know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll like, they kept trying, you know, like maybe we can push a little bit further and see if they'll let us get away with this. No,
0: we won't. Do you actually think he'll go back to college for another year? Do you think that's a possibility? No,
1: it's, it's. It's $10 million to go back to, to college next year he makes. Great. That's a lot of money. That's your base salary as the number one overall pick. That's not the guaranteed money. That ain't the signing bonus. That's your base salary as a number one overall pick next year in the NFL will be the $10 million you're going to get in NIL money. Now, is that $10 million still going to be plenty enough to allow you to live and have a great – yeah, sure, but – you're turning down a chance to start your contract and get it rolling in the NFL. And that's also turning down like 40 million, $50 million of signing bonus guaranteed money right in front of you that you're turning down. Now I know, I know they have Lloyd's of London insurance policies and all that, but I don't, I think what he'll do, Brendan is he'll force the worst case scenario, he'll force a trade. And that team, like we've talked about, will make the trade as they have in the NFL past. When Elway pulled that card, when Eli Manning pulled that card, those teams didn't hold tight and go, no, we're taking Eli. No, we're taking John. No, they said, well, fine. We'll find a trade partner, and they'll find So they'll find somebody out there that'll give them a King's ransom for it. No doubt it's Caleb. Um, and that'll be the way it plays out, worst case.
0: Yeah, I actually watched a documentary about the Elway situation a little bit. It was pretty interesting. Was that the, the Elway, to Elway to Marino? No. Uh, God, I think it was on NFL Network. I don't remember what it was called, but it was Ernie Corsi was yeah. the GM of the Colts at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I had to lower my offer. We had to, we got it down to a future first. The guy, the Broncos took fourth overall, who was an offensive lineman and their quarterback, their backup quarterback or whatever. Yeah, And apparently like, of course, he didn't even know the trade had been greenlit until he came into the bill, until it got announced on the news. Like the owner just did it without him. Um, It, it was pretty interesting. He, and, was a,
1: he was a young general manager, too, at the time, Corsi. Yeah. So he was, he was like the green guy that nobody was going to trust to make the decision.
0: Yeah. And uh, in hindsight, it's kind of crazy how little the Colts got in that deal. That was not a very good trade.
1: <laughs> Seahawks, did you get the part that documented? If it's the one I watched on this, um, Seattle, Seattle was in on that trade. Did you get that part in that documentary?
0: Oh, man. I don't think I saw that. I, I, I didn't did. watch the whole thing. I knew that we... God, I thought we were in on Marino, maybe drafting him, but I didn't think we were in on trading for Elway.
1: We were in on Elway. Uh, they wanted one extra first round pick, and we weren't willing to to meet the that one extra first round pick. We had all of the rest of the deal scout out with the players we'd get back and all the picks go back, and um, we just wouldn't go with that one extra first to bring him in. He wanted to come here too. He he Stanford West Coast kid. He was going to be willing to come here, completely on board with it. And uh, yeah, just wasn't willing to give that extra first rounder up, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, we should have just signed Warren Moon out of college.
1: Yeah. That yeah.
0: That, that would have made everything okay.
1: They would have covered everything up. You're right. We probably would have gotten a championship in the 80s with you. You give Knox, Warren Moon, and um, Warren Moon, Kurt Warner, and Largent. I don't know, man. That's I'm not guaranteeing way, we would have gotten one, but it would have been tough.
0: By the way, I know we're going a little off topic here, but uh, whatever. we got time. I want to ask you real quick. So we've generally said this whole time that the Mount Rushmore of quarterback prospects is Elway, Luck, Lawrence, and now Caleb, right? Would you agree with that?
1: Elway, Elway, Luck, Lawrence, Caleb. Yeah, I think that's probably right.
0: Would you put those in order in terms of the prospect? Oh, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I have mine.
1: I would put... uh I think probably John Elway was the most talented quarterback of the bunch. Um, man had a, uh, you know, he was the original like full dual threat type quarterback. I would probably put, I see, I, I would probably put Andrew Luck and then Caleb Williams and then Trevor Lawrence is four. yeah.
0: Would my... I would go luck Elway, Caleb Lawrence. I think so that would pretty, be my order.
1: We're pretty close on that. Yeah. I, I did think my only thing with, with Elway is I think he was more of a dynamic runner than Luck was. Um and that he had a little bit of a stronger arm. But I I they're close. They're very close.
0: And somehow Elway had a losing record in college. Figure that one out.
1: Stanford wasn't any good.
0: <laughs> how does <laughs> that how is that allowed to happen?
1: Stanford was Stanford was not yeah. good. Yeah, if
0: Elway was in college football today, they just get like 800 transfers every off season oh, and yeah. they win three straight national titles.
1: <laughs> it's tough too. Cause it's Stanford with their, you know, even back then the college academics that you have to meet to get there. So you could be an elite athlete that wants to go to Stanford, but you don't meet their the high, high qualitative marks and they won't have you, you know, and that's, Probably I'm sure that's frustrated a lot of coaches that have come through there like I got this guy's gonna be awesome. Like, yeah, but he's not smart. He's he's not good enough from an academic (laughs) standpoint to make it work. Okay,
0: Okay, so let's flip the page over to the side of the Cardinals that is actually bad, like really bad. It's the defense. Mm -hmm. So I mean, they put up a decent fight in a few games, but this is a defense that blew a 21-point lead to Daniel Jones. This is a defense that allowed Joe Burrow to get his groove back after a month where he was basically sleepwalking. It's a bad NFL defense by any reasonable standard. I think their offense hangs them out to dry a little bit, but honestly, not as much as we were expecting. So looking at this Cardinals defense, their best player is probably not playing in this game. Hamilton senior, the corner, Mm -hmm. uh, has not practiced yet this week. I'm not expecting him to play. Uh, they are probably getting Buda Baker back, mm. but well, speaking broadly, what do you think of this Cardinals defense?
1: Um, I mean, you mentioned it, you kind of said it pretty succinctly. I mean, this, you try to unpack it. It just comes down to this is a, an untalented bunch. They've bled some talent in recent years that were part of what made their defense, whatever it was in recent seasons. Not that it's been great, but you've lost whatever you had there that made it whatever functional point it was at. You have a guy like Zayven Collins, for instance, who's a first round pick that I thought he was drafted to be a middle linebacker, but now he's playing left defensive end. Um, and he's doing so and not able to beat out Cameron Thomas, who's the guy I think that they would prefer to be having start, um, who they drafted relatively high a couple of years ago. So you, you look at that and you go, that's a little strange to me. I, I don't know what's exactly happening. You just uh, B.J. O'Jolari can't find his way onto the football field. I know he's a guy that was very young coming out of L- LSU, but and raw, so you knew it was going to take him a little bit of time. But I mean, he doesn't, he's not getting very much run with them either. Um, it's there's there's just not a lot there. Dennis Gardek's playing some good ball for them. Um, you know, he's got four sacks on the year. he's been a real active defender for him. He plays with his hair on fire. He's a fun guy when you watch the tape and it stands out. But when you watch the rest of the tape, they play fundamentally sound, they don't they like the offense, they're not gonna beat themselves. And this is where you give Gannon the credit for getting this team to the place of doing that, not having the talent where he's saying kind of, okay, we can't control the talent, but we can control the things we can control the penalties, the ability to not have stupid turnovers and, and, and just those kind of things. This team does that really well, even defensively on that side. Um, they don't seem like they give up a lot of, they give a lot of big plays in the Bengals game, but overall they play they make you fairly well earn it up the football field. They're good down in the red zone. Um, that's the one place where it seems like they do tighten up a little bit down there, but, there's not, this is, you've got playmakers all across the board that can expose and absolutely just shred this defense in the way that it's structured. There's just, there's nothing here. There's nothing there, there, <laughs> as they say.
0: Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, to all teams in the NFL, somebody trade for Dennis Gardeck. Mm. Somebody get him out of this division. He's like the only thing holding this defense together and you will not regret the Dennis Gardeck thing. I've always liked that guy.
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a hard player, and he's been fun to watch on the tape for them because he's he's like a guy now feeling like he's getting his chance, Brendan. You know, this kind of player that you'll bounce around the league a little bit and you're not getting a really starting opportunity, and then you finally get that one opportunity at one place, and you're going, I'm seizing this. And you can sense his spirit on the field of, I'm seizing this opportunity, and I'm going to let this thing rip.
0: Yeah. So... I'm, I'm looking at it. They got Marco Wilson, maybe as their number one corner right now. He's the guy who threw the shoe in the uh, college game. And he seems like he's been really bad so far, as near as I can tell anyway. Um, yeah. It seems like he's been a bit of a disaster so far. They got a uh, Keitrell Clark, who was a uh, nickel corner uh, in this year's draft that I kind of liked. I feel like he's made a couple of good plays so far, but he's not graded well by PFF. So consistency issue there probably. Um, same thing
1: with Wilson, who's 41 in coverage right now. Um, he's got 44 targets, 35 receptions allowed by PFF. I just I, ja, ja.
0: and um, yeah, they're their uh interior defensive line. They've got Dante Stills, who was another guy I actually kind of liked a little bit in the draft, but he's a rookie playing on a bad team. You get what you get. Uh their starting left end, uh Ledbetter is actually showed up on the injury report today. So maybe he doesn't play, who knows? Um, it it's uh it's hard to find much to even really talk about here. Most of these guys are just kind of like, uh it's our job uh, to do this to here, Brendan.
1: Yeah, I mean it's our job to give you folks to break this down on this defensive side of the ball to say, well, this guy's got these flaws, or you know, here where you'll go after the scheme. This this is an undermanned group as you're going to see against us. We're going to play them twice this year, but we're not going to have another NFL team that we fit up who is this week defensively and not even in the neighborhood, not even the same city, not in the same freaking time zone. They are as light as you get on the defensive side of the ball. And this is why we, when we say why they're tanking the defense is the representation of this is example. Exhibit a your honor. You know, I've got nobody on this defense that's going to make a pro bowl. Nobody's going to sniff an all pro. And I there's, there's, Nope, I mean, Buda Baker's your only playmaker on this defense. I mean, he's going to have to go out there and be Superman throughout this game uh, because the rest of the defense just doesn't have it. And I, it's kind of been surprising to me that they've been able to kind of hold it together as well as they have, in my opinion. You know, I that's that's the part that means a little bit shockers. is the defense just hasn't been completely. Now they're giving up, what? We got uh, 26, 34, 35, 28, 31, and 20. But on paper, this would be a defense you'd look at and say they'd be giving up 40 a game regardless of the offense a little bit
0: um yeah Buddha baker's the one guy to look out for i guess i mean he played his uh college ball in the state of washington he uh i'm sure he looks at seattle games as being pretty big games for multiple reasons but one of the reasons being he was uh he's kind of local
1: yeah so he's a, watch he's... out for that He's been a good and, he, and as a Huskies that haven't always had great success in the pros, he's been one of the Huskies who has. Who's been a really, really fine player. Um, he got, he's on a contract extension with them. Um, really would like to actually see him traded here before the deadline. To be honest with you, from the Cardinals' perspective here, because he's not going to be a long-term answer there for you. And why not? You know, send him to a place that could use him somewhere else, and then offload the assets. You know, I say that. Well, then the Niners trade for him, and I look like a complete ass, Brennan. But. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel bad for the guy, you know? I want to see my Huskies have a chance to be in a place where they can, you know, shine in a nice spot.
0: Yeah, you, you ever kind of get the feeling that some of these teams are just being lazy with their blow-up? Like, the Broncos haven't traded anybody yeah. yet. Uh, the uh, like, like, the Cardinals are another example. Like, stripped down already. Come on, guys. Yeah. Like I, I know Jerry Judy completely destroyed his trade value with the way he was acting last week, but you still got to trade him.
1: You got to move him, yeah. I, I think you... I'm very much kind of, like... Extreme about that, where if you slide in that stage as an NFL roster, then go, you know, don't half measure it, go all the way with it. Cardinals, you move Simmons and Josh Smith at the start of the year. And I mean, so lean into it, you know, and get what you can get and don't, don't get turned over in your mind of getting the appropriate amount of value, especially the Broncos perspective. You've, You've had so many picks that have been pulled out of your pocket and lost assets. Why not start to return some of those assets? Recognizing this team is nowhere close you're nowhere close your defense is is falling apart and that was the one thing that you could sort of lean into and say this is a strength of our ball club so yeah i'm with you man lean into it let it rip you know yeah
0: i, I guess all these teams must be calling steve smith and asking him if they should trade for judy before they do it
1: <laughs> yeah maybe so boy steve put some put put some shade on him didn't he in the most creative of kind of ways of doing it but i mean yeah judy had that coming too his attitude has obviously sucked since he's he's coming to league i mean he's a guy with so much promise everybody everybody was trying to hype up to me that he was the instantly the best route runner in the entire nfl he's showing pros how to run routes it's like is it yeah but he can't catch (laughs) it's one thing (laughs) run route you kind of need the hands on top of uh, the route running there to make it work
0: But but yeah. um, Anyway, back to the original point. Somebody trade for Dennis Gardeck. You won't regret it. He's a lot of fun.
1: He is a lot of fun. Maybe he'll help you out. Help you win games.
0: Um. So we've got Kazir White, who I think is a safety that they have playing that has kind of bulked up over the years, and he's playing middle linebacker for them now. He's been okay, I guess. But it's kind of crazy that the Cardinals spent back to back first round picks on inside linebackers in Simmons and Collins. And their current starting inside linebackers are Kazir White and Eagles cast off and Josh Woods, who I, I don't know who that is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. they, they said We're going to build our defense with our linebackers and then yeah, bailed off. They've turned one into an outside linebacker. They didn't know what to do with Simmons. They got so confused by him that they gave him away for, you know, a, a half a chunk of cheese. And uh, I I don't get it. This is also why, Brendan, why why are the Cardinals bad for years? You know, why don't they turn things around at times? Why are they the organization in this division that's obviously lagging behind the other three, in my opinion? Because of the way that they run things and their decision making. And you can find it all across the board from how they've drafted to how they've spent their money to not having a a clear philosophy in place of what they're trying to get done. there's There's a big thing with Cardinals to me of just throwing it at the wall and see what sticks kind of approach to things a little bit. And uh, it's not creative or inventive. And I don't think it's going to bore success out for them anytime in this in the future, Brendan, until they find a, a path that they're going to take. And maybe it is the rebuild. Maybe they lean more and more into this. But we'll see around the trade deadline. You know, they have some assets they can offload and get something for. You can probably get third, fourth round pick for Buda Baker. You know, I know that's not a lot, but I mean, that's something. It's yeah. certain, certainly, it, it'll help you, especially with this draft, which should be pretty, pretty solid third yeah. round pick.
0: Better than what you're gonna get when he leaves in free agency, which is uh not a heck of a heck of a lot.
1: Very true. Very true.
0: Um, I guess one more interesting player on this defense would be uh Kavon Wallace. He's been playing a lot for them and has been one of their more prolific players because of the absence of Buddha. Um, played with the Eagles for a few years and then came over to Arizona last year. What do you think of Kavon Wallace?
1: Uh, former fourth round pick, you know, he's a, to me kind of just, just a guy back there. Um, certainly playing some of his better, maybe ball that he's played in his career and maybe not having as many opportunities there with the Eagles probably stacked on the depth chart a little bit as just a rotation, kind of like a guard deck type where it's, you know, a guy bounced around looking for his opportunity, gets an opportunity now. And he, he is, you know, making the most for it. He's playing hard. he has got to pick on the year, four passes, defense, Um, he doesn't flash on the tape. Like you see wall showing up all over the place or something like guard kind of does on the front seven where you're seeing him really, and maybe it's his hair, Brendan, you know, you're seeing the locks flowing or something and it's making him stand out. But you know, he's, I think he's part of that group. That's been, they play within themselves. He's a pro's pro. So he's been in the league for four years. He knows the position he needs to be. He reads things, right. He's not going to be easily taken advantage of, um, you know, so they're, he's going to do, you're, you're gonna have to kind of earn it with him on that, but I don't think that he's also you know, sensationally talented either. 5'11", 205. He's, I think he is just kind of a jag.
0: All right. So I think that's really about what we can say about this Cardinals defense. They're bad. They're not the worst, but they're starting to move towards it. Buda Baker might give them a little bit of a boost, but they're missing a couple of key corners. They're missing some guys in the front seven, um, by the way, Jalen Thompson, who has played quite a bit this year because of Buda Baker's absence as well, he's also not practicing yet, I don't think, so he may not play. So what are you looking for, for from this uh, Seahawks offense in this game to attack what the Cardinals do and don't do?
1: Well, I think that uh, they're going to play a lot more off coverage than what we saw at Bengals last week was a lot of press coverage with a single high-safety look to it, which was going to open up more for Gino to try to hit deep shots, and we weren't able to take as much advantage of that um, as we saw in that game. Uh, watching the way they played the Rams and some of these other games, um, the Cardinals do have a tendency to play the off coverage with the corners on the outside. Uh, they're going to, you know, for the most part, drop guys into coverage and, and try to just squeeze squeeze the windows down. So a lot of this is going to be based on the, on moving the chains and and keeping the first downs rolling and being patient offensively and not trying to get outside yourself if you're to steal points quicker rather than just take what they're going to give you and there's going to be holes in this defense to take in my opinion. Running the ball should be also something that they are able to get done against this defense. Um it's not been the the, the worst the worst thing, you know, the Bengals for instance a couple weeks ago playing them. It wasn't the running game it was them passing rams last week it was to me more of the passing attack what they're doing that than running but you've got to run against this front you got to force and make sure that they can stop your running game um and you got to find some more balance offensively this cannot be just such a pass happy attack that you know it's all comes down on we can't run today it's on you you know get it done we got to get out of that mode and find the balance here and consistency throughout the course of the game but um it's gonna be a bit of a take what the defense gives you as opposed to go out there and take a bunch of deep shots Keep the chains moving. Stay that consistently with it. Play play within yourself if you're Geno, and uh, you'll put up 30, 35 points on this team, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, the issue is we don't yet know what kind of offensive line we're going to have in this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, To go down the line here, Charles Cross, I'm sure he's going to play, and he played decently against the Bengals, so I think he's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looks like Damien Lewis is going to be back this week next to him. That's okay, too. Uh, First game back from an injury. I'm not saying he's going to be 100%, but he'll be able to play. Should be okay. Mm -hmm. Evan Brown is not practiced yet this week. I don't know what happened, but something's going on there. At this point, it wouldn't be shocking if Oluwatimi got the call for this week. Yes. Uh, Right guard Phil Haynes was a DNP today after practicing yesterday. So either they're resting him or something got worse.
1: Bradford should be your starter here.
0: That's true. I mean, that's so,
1: it's that's the where we're, I mean, I understood where you had some hesitancy on this a couple weeks ago, but come Bradford coming off this game last week and getting better as a player, and Haynes, whether it's the injury or not, um, regressing a little bit as a player, I, 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 to me, Bradford's your future anyway on this. If he's playing better as it is, roll with him.
0: Right, so maybe Bradford, maybe Haynes. There we'll see. And right tackle. We know Lucas is not ready to play yet. That's already been said. Kerhan right. uh, did practice today, so he's injured, but it looks like he'll be able to play. Uh, Jason Peters apparently tweaked something, so he may be ready, but it's been said by many people that right tackle is actually his worst position, mm. and we are looking to put him in the interior if we play him. So, okay. I don't view Jason Peters as some sort of magic bullet solution here to our right tackle problem. I think that, um he I, I don't know if he would be appreciable appreciably better than Curhan. Yeah, uh, we haven't signed DJ Fluher yet, so he's not the answer at right tackle. So realistically, as of right now, we're probably rocking with Jake Curhan with a bad ankle at right tackle again. like there's nothing really else to do right now. So, We've proven this year that we can overcome having somebody like Kerhan at right tackle, but the last couple games it's gotten a lot harder. So, what what are we doing here? How are we going to make this Kerhan thing work?
1: Well, I think it's going to get easier in this game because he's had issues with, uh, what I believe, like you know Thibodeau and what they were bringing off the edge in the Giants game past week. You had um, both Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson were able to create some pressures. It's a mighty big drop off to Zaven Collins and Kevin Strong, <laughs> you know. Um, you know Dennis Gardeck a little bit coming up. Like they're they're not really going to be able to test you in the way that you could be tested before. And having Charles Cross back out there and getting rounded back into shape does now free you up to more lean like before. And you had Stone and Jake, you had to sort of share the load on the help. Now you can lean a little bit more of that help, I think, to Jay Kurhan's side. Um, you're gonna have to overcome it. This is the also the point for me, Brendan, on needing to stay balanced and not allowing that defense dependencyers back. Because what's gonna put that tackle in the biggest bind? That injured backup tackle, that defensive end across from him, being able to know it's a pass play and knowing he doesn't have to play the run and coming with coming at 100 miles an hour. Um, you've you've got to, to me. Find the predictions there for Curran. Find the balance in this game that you've not been able to find throughout the most of this year in the running game, for the most part. Not that we've been bad running, but we haven't been able to find it cons- consistently. Make it go through the game to be able to kind of keep everything um, unpredictable, offensively speaking. We end up getting very predictable when we have to just end up passing all the time, and I don't want it. That's to me the as we saw last week. That's when you're going to see Kurhan at his worst. Um, because he's just not good enough to hold on out there if that's going to be the case throughout the course of a game. So big, big, big onus on this game and and running the ball to get over the uh, offensive line woes that we're coming into with this.
0: Yeah. My concern is that we could not run the ball against the Bengals, and that was one of the worst run defenses in the league. And it seemed to me the interior offensive line just wasn't getting it done. Like, we had guys Mm -hmm. getting it done. Like, uh, Bradford's run block rate was insanely high. Yeah. But as a team collectively, the whole last three quarters was like two yards in a cloud of dust. Mm-hmm. So I know the Cardinals are not really a good run, run stopping team either, but I'm a little worried with the offensive line being in the state that it's in. Hopefully getting Damian Lewis back helps, but I'm a little worried that this offensive line will not be able to run the ball on pretty much anybody.
1: If that's the case, then what I want to see him do is like we saw, we just watched the Saints game. I know you watched it too. You know, look at the way that they used Camara like a running back, but just in the flicking him the ball, 10 catches over the course of this game on Thursday night football, as opposed to handing him the ball. And you look at his yard per carry in this game. I think he's like 3.3, under four yards of carry. Flick the ball out to Walker. Commit to giving him then five or six catches over the course of this game where they're not it's not like you're there's a lot of separation or you've you've schemed everything up on the back end to get all of the defense dropping to depth, and then you hit Walker and hope him go, or that it has to be a screenplay. But you just have some moments in this game where Gino drops back, looks down the field for a moment, flips it out into Walker. It's a whole pre-programmed play just to get him the ball out in space and an opportunity to maybe work with the ball out there and be dangerous with it if there is no holes to be had. So that's that point that we weren't last week, Brendan. Get creative in your approach to get your playmakers the ball. You know, Don't just simply, well, we hand it off. We're not going anywhere. Where's the screen game? Where's the bubble screen? Where are the fly sweeps? Where's the use to the edges here? You know, Where's the creativity, Mr. Waldron? That's what you got to start employing here. Help your offense out when it's ailing like that. That's one of the when we talked about the blame game last week. It's one of the places where Waldron had to 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 have some of that blame thrown right up onto his plate. It's a heaving heaping helping of it, because of the fact that he was not helping that offense out in that game call, you weren't you weren't giving Geno free and easy completions. The the running game just had no creativity to it. It was you kept having A and B gap runs, which wasn't working. That's, there's some ways to do this from an offensive perspective, Brendan, it, but you've got to get a little more creative and more pre-snap motion for the love of God. <laughs> like so much I, doing the cutups again, you know, yesterday, Brendan did the show, showed about 28 cutups of Geno Smith and on his throws and what was going on. The lack of pre-snap motion throughout the course of that game was kind of staggering to me. This is where this game is going in the modern era and you're just completely immobile off the snap with your guys time and time again. And I don't know why.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was going to ask. Like this, when stuff like that happens, do you think there's any logical thought process that led to it? Or do you just think that coaches are having bad days just like players have bad days?
1: I think it's more of a bad day thing. I don't see what the loss would have been by moving a guy in motion. Um, And maybe there is an explanation at a deeper root level here for, well, you bring him in motion, you're taking him into the zone. We lose the flood zone concept to this. But what it it also does is it also gets your guy going in motion and movement. I mean, this is what the Dolphins are doing to me is their mastery this year. McDaniel is, yes, he's being super creative and running certain plays, no look passes and – throwing the ball back behind the line of scrimmage to a back rather than pitch it off a three-step drop. And he's, it's a lateral play. He's actually throwing. Yeah, he's doing a lot of that creative stuff. But at the root of it for McDaniels, in my opinion, is it's the pre and post-snap motion and the combination of those two things, right? Both doing pre-snap motion to post-snap motion and having different players that might be executing both of those two tasks. And it Functifies the defense; it throws them off like nothing else. You can see it because you got linebacker, you got them pointing, and you got that over here, and you're watching the linebackers jump out of a gap and get them moving in the wrong direction, and then you hit them back the other direction. There's not a lot of that in our offense right now, and I don't know why. You should be utilizing this. This is this is not just simply what I want. This is the McVeigh scheme too. Well, go watch him, uh, Sean uh, uh, Sean McVeigh offense week in and week out. It's Cooper Cup or Puka moving every point before every snap. And again, a lot of post-motion snap as well. So it, this is also the origins of your offense. Ask for this and call for you to do this. I don't, which makes me not have, I don't have an explanation for it. Do you have something on it? I mean, is it just Coach Carroll doesn't like pre-snap mm. motion maybe and post-snap motion? I,
0: yeah, I mean, I remember back in 2019, uh, there was a game we played where we got beat up by the Rams. They blew us out. And Carroll in the post-game presser basically said, yeah, they really kill us with all that pre-snap motion. And a lot of people were saying like, you know, if it kills you, you should probably use it. (laughs) And over the years, we have used it more. And this year, I think we have used it a pretty good amount. But um, that game, we got away from, we got away from a lot of things in that game that we shouldn't have.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And there has been times where Waldron has utilized it. So I don't want to paint the picture that Waldron does never do it. But this year, early on with the offense at times, there's been some moments where I'm, it's been noticeable to me where there's huge swaths. Snap, 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 where there's no movement going on. And uh, that shouldn't be the case.
0: Right. So I I want to attack this secondary for sure, because it's going to be so beat up. Um. But you're right. We got to reestablish balance. We got to hope that the guys can actually give us a chance to do it. I think getting Damian Lewis back is actually a pretty big deal. I think we learned last week that he does have a more positive effect on the run blocking than maybe we thought. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, I mean, you should be able to kind of do whatever you want to do on this defense, right? It's not a very, it's not a good defense. Um, Even the one game they won, the Cowboys, the Cowboys moved the ball up and down the field without issue. They just couldn't score in the red zone, which by the way, is a league wide trend this year.
1: It's a league wide trend. And this is the thing that stood out to the defense and watching the Rams. It was the same way in the last game against them this last week where they do get tight the, in, a, in a good way, from the Cardinals' perspective, defensively down by the red zone. So they are legitimately, it's part of them being disciplined and sound and fundamentally on point. Um, they're very strong down there. You're hard, it's hard to run it in, and there's not a lot of holes there. Like you say, it's a league-wide thing, but they're also one of those teams that's that's running it well in, in how they're pulling it off. They're they're forcing the action to happen in, in uh, the lack of red zone success against them.
0: Yeah. I uh, actually did a whole video earlier today about how red zone efficiency is way down in the league this year, and I I don't know exactly what's causing it, but it's pretty interesting to take a look at um, how down it is. It's like down nine percent from just three years ago, I think.
1: I make the guess. I don't I don't know for sure. It's a it's a wild guess a little bit because I don't have the data to back it up. But it does feel to me like the truth of this, which is, Brendan. I think it's more of nobody runs the ball with the consistency anymore. You know, everything's a run for show, throw to go. And so you have teams not running the ball. And when you get down there and things are compacted, there's not those holes in the defense. It's like, Brendan, you know, we, we also saw that there's the new data coming out that the nine routes, the deep throws are getting kind of slowly almost removed from the game. They're they're petering yeah. out. That's because those defenses are playing to that zone defense of dropping depth and taking away those deep throws, which then allows the offenses to be very efficient, moving the ball up the field. Right. But then you get inside the 20. And then what happens? I don't have to drop to the deep zones anymore. Now everything comes down and gets really compacted. And so if I don't, now we go to the, I need my running game to call upon. Now that passing attack isn't going to be as efficient between those twenties of getting there, but I don't have the rushing attack. Because we don't run it consistently enough, we don't do it good enough down there, then to just be physical and take it to that team down there. I I think it's a bit of that, but that's just that is a bit of a wild guess.
0: Yeah, you know, if this keeps up, the NFL is going to come up with some kind of rule to bring back the deep play, right?
1: Well, it's just you're going to get more. It, it's that, or you're going to get more of the rules like you know, no more of the tackles from behind with the thing, and they'll just they'll, they'll be more of these little subtle rules that'll that'll just encourage more scoring
0: yeah uh, okay how about this so the mlb banned the shift last year right right does the nfl ban cover (laughs) two it's basically the same thing
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh boy if you do you're gonna have some receivers that are gonna absolutely destroy you know if you did um you know, you would, you would absolutely have got certain receivers that'd be just about unstoppable. So it would take it, I think, too extreme for the, for the NFL. If they did. It's it's not an out of pocket idea. It's definitely, I think within the realm of reason, if offense and scoring went way down, but no, because the, the flip side of it would go so extreme to the other way. You give a single high look now and it's like you're, you're especially with all of the beater plays to cover three because single high leads usually to cover three off the back of it. That's going to be the typical, unless you're running man defense on the outside with your corners. So Now you get to that predictable stage where offenses can just about become unstoppable at that point.
0: Uh, Jason Tudor, thank you for the $2 Canadian. Is there any real information on Abe? Hashtag, hashtag anxious. And I think you're right to be anxious, by the way. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't think we have anything beyond the fact that Carol has said he's not going to practice this week, which tells me he's at least a few weeks away from playing
1: I'm getting that sense as well, Jason. And I think you're in intimating a little bit about the possibility of there being maybe that he doesn't come back this season. And I think that that's maybe on the table here, potentially, hopefully not. Um, it's been honestly a little bit of a mystery with this whole knee thing going back to last year with Abe. So I, I don't know if he's got something chronically within there or there's something that, you know, he's fighting through, but there, there does seem to be, um, some kind of serious injury there. I don't know if the surgery fixed it up at this point. Now it's just recovery, but they aren't giving us a lot of information, Jason, as far as to let us inform you on, you know, Carol just goes, well, he's just not practicing this week. And that's kind of, you know, all we get, so to speak, at that point.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, ready for pretty much anything when it comes to Abe Lucas. I don't think he's going to miss the whole season, but I am kind of ready for that possibility because uh, this was the thing that started in the offseason.
1: Mm hmm. Well, I think it even goes to last year too. Cause that's, I think, it, I, I think it could be related to that where they're just hoping it was going to quiet down. It didn't need surgery. And so they're, they arrested him at the end of last season and it didn't quiet down. It's kind of like the Mike Morris thing with the shoulder, right? Where you you try to see if it'll quiet down initially in camp, doesn't quiet down, have a small surgery, see if that gets done. That doesn't do it. Okay. We're gonna have to go whole hog full on. Now he's out for the year.
0: You know? Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Um, And like I said, there's no good solution to the issue because Kerhan, the fans are already sick of him. They already see how limited he is. And he's not a bad player. He's not a bad backup. He's just very limited in some areas of the game. Uh, Jason Peters is a left tackle. He's not really a right tackle. And I don't think there's really anybody you can go get. Like, maybe call up Mitchell Schwartz and see if he can tie his shoes now because... uh, Last, last we checked in on Mitchell Schwartz, they said, I, I, I can't even bend down to tie my shoes.
1: Yeah. There's nobody. I mean, Vikings don't have a great offensive line. If they go to sell mode, bears don't have a great offensive line. if They go into sell mode. Um, you could, we could go through the rest of these other teams, but there's really not a team out there with a tackle. That's the right. Tackle that, you know, for a, for a rental type deal that you're going to be able to go
0: get. Yeah. What's Brandon shell up to these days? <laughs> He's probably still banging around somewhere in the league. Yeah, he he was, he was had a good year in 2020. In 2021, it fell off a little bit, but he wasn't bad, I don't think.
1: No, not as, especially because he was kind of, a, he's like an Evan Brown value signing. So for what he gave you, bang for the buck was nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's Jermaine Effetti up to these days?
1: Oh, please. No, God, don't, don't. You're <laughs> going to give me nightmares, Brandon. Please don't bring up that name. No,
0: no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like the Bears picked him up and moved him to guard and he was actually pretty good. I don't know if he's still there, though. He was
1: workable for a while, but then he kind of started to fall apart, I think, at the end, even at guard. And I think he's probably out of the league now, if I'm not mistaken. He might be still yeah. somewhere doing something.
0: Let's see here. Y2K, thank you for the member message. Member for 23 months, coming up on two years here. TFL, sacks, interceptions, passes, defense. Does Spoon have this week? Presumably saying how many mm. does he have this week?
1: uh i'll go with one tackle for loss i'll go zero sacks because i don't think the team's going to be as blitz heavy with him uh i will go zero interceptions and we'll go with three passes defensed
0: you know i feel like dobbs has an interception or two in him i just don't know if it's going to go to witherspoon like feel
1: like Tariq gets his first this week i feel like draymond jones kind of shows out and Tariq gets his first pick
0: yeah this week is going to be about shutting up the haters right that's right. Tariq's getting some haters because he hasn't done much yet this year. Draymond's got haters because he got paid a lot of money and Jaron Reed's out playing him. Gino's getting haters. So, you know, he's going to eat and mm. DK is getting haters. So they're, they're going to go off. That that's what's happening this week. I think
1: uh, that's my sense of it as well. That's why I'm I'm not quite as nervous as maybe some would be going to this game with the, the letdown is I think everybody's going to be kind of like, Oh, Oh really? I am. Huh? Oh, I am.
0: Huh? Oh, is that what you think? Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Sure.
1: Sure. Okay.
0: I like it. Uh, I'll go with one TFL, no sacks. Uh, I'll do one interception though, and two Woo! passes defensed. I feel I like I feel like Dobbs has got some picks in him this week because He's... if we if we play aggressively in the secondary, it's going to be hard for these guys to get open, even though they're not bad.
1: It's true. They're not getting a lot of separation. And with that arm that he has, you got time to make a break on that ball and jump a route. That's the thing that, you know, he's not gonna be able to hide or get around. And he doesn't have those 49er playmakers generating five yards of separation on every route.
0: Uh let's see. Concierge with Nolan. Thank you for the five dollars. Giving JSN DK Lockett a running head start. Seems like too good of an idea. Better not try it.
1: Uh, that's, that's a good way of putting it, man. I mean, whether Walden reason works or not, like stagnant stagnation has not worked. So why not move it? You know? Yeah. And I would think that it would help giving him a little bit of a more, a running head start. It's certainly, again, this this is where the better offense in the league are utilizing this, be it Andy Reid with a completely different West coast style to Sean McVay with his West coast style, but they are all utilizing that pre and post snap motion. And that is where the game's going offensively. That's the opening up for offensive coordinators, to enact creativity right now if you are so willing
0: Ooh, you know i just figured out what rule change the nfl is going to make hmm. they're they're going to literally allow receivers a running head start like remember the old arena football league
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah i could see they're, it they're gonna yeah. let receivers do a running start at the line like they used to do in the arena football league and that's how the covered two shell gets cracked
1: i could see it That certainly would be a place that'd be a big advantage for the offense. I I think that's a little bit of an easier balance ground than saying no cover two because that would be at least one where you could technically at least defensively have some counters. It'll be hard on you and it'll make things tougher, but that will at least give you an ability to counter it, theoretically speaking. So I like it, man. Yeah, that definitely could be one that they look to at some point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like baseball banning the shift puts a lot of stuff on the table because that, that was such a weird, decision like it was literally just this works too well you can't do it anymore
1: I'd even offer in the pitch clock on top of it I mean both mm-hmm. of those are the two biggest most major rule changes baseball's had it put into place in a hundred years I would say legitimate baseball's Since like the
0: mound got moved back I think yeah
1: exactly or they yeah, the mountain size too changed it's they do not make rule changes in baseball so yeah you're and, and football tends to be way more fluent and way more willing to adapt and change its rules it's not like well this is how they did it in 1955. So this is how we have to do it now. Um, And I think baseball's getting the benefits of that. You're right. Both of those changes are going to, I mean, viewership was up. Game speed was faster, um, which is only going to in the future increase viewership, I think, for them on that side of it. So it's uh it certainly is a possibility. I wouldn't put it out. Of, if, if scoring goes down this year, Brendan, I don't think the NFL is just going to sit on their hands and be like, well, it was a one-year anomaly thing. I'm sure it'll be fine. They know that that's, Part of what drives
0: rating is having the scoring going and whatnot. Yeah, maybe they'll be like Caleb and Drake are coming to save the day next year.
1: Part of it is you need better quarterback play right now. You know, some of these guys are playing the position not well. And uh yeah. you could say it's odd, but we need we need better play here from these guys.
0: Yeah, I, I I really feel like the key, the ultimate key is uh you you have to every single play take what the defense gives you. If you do that, you're going to win. And I know that sounds hypocritical coming from me because I always kind of crap on quarterbacks like Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garopp- Garoppolo, those guys who do take what the defense gives them. But right now, that's just the way you have to play.
1: I've always said, I think every def- every defense has a hole to it, to your point. Every defensive scheme has a hole. The cover two defense had a hole. The, the wide nine defense, the Niners has a hole. Uh, our cover three had a hole. Everything's got a hole. Everything's got a, Everything's got a strength. There's always a weakness on every play to a defense to lean into and, and a strength to lean away from. Um, you just have to determine pre-snap. What is that weakness that I go hit? And sometimes it's short, sometimes it's deep, but that's the key to it is don't force things upriver. you know, go with the stream a little bit.
0: Connor Olschlager, Thank you for the $5. Brian O'Neill is a great right tackle for the Vikings. 83 grade last season, 82 grade so far this year. Don't know what his contract situation is, though. I feel like they just extended him, but I could be wrong.
1: I'll look it up here real quick.
0: Yeah, but I remember looking at this guy a few years ago and kind of earmarking him as a potential trade target. And this year, when I looked at the Vikings, I didn't. And I feel like that was because his contract was not tradable yet.
1: So Brian O'Neill's making, yep. You're on the button with this one, uh, Connor. So, right now we've got uh, Brian making uh, only a one million dollar base, which is a uh, warning, warning. We got a problem right there, right? And then we go over yeah. to him, and uh, he's carrying right now a nine million dollar cap hit. He'd have a 28 million dollar dead money hit, uh, to get him. So, they would the night the Vikings only have 10 million dollars of cap space, so they didn't even have the cap space, Connor, to move that kind of contract on top of with Seattle. I mean, you go and you make this move with. O'Neal, it's that's not a rental player at that point. You have yeah. Lucas coming back and O'Neal there, and unless you're looking to kick Lucas into guard or something at that point, I don't um it wouldn't make sense there. But yeah, he's playing pretty solid, but they've that that dead money's too much, unfortunately, Connor, on that one.
0: Yeah, uh he is a good player though. I definitely agree with that. I like him a lot, but um, yeah, I uh the NFL need I feel like the NFL does need to do something about this. You can never make trades because 80% of the players are untradeable because of contracts.
1: It's uh it's tough, man. Yeah. It's it's definitely it, it definitely holds up a lot of these deals from happening, but the owners aren't gonna give in on that because that has, the only solution here is them giving up less revenue to make that fixed. Those players right. aren't giving up any cash and, and owners aren't gonna do that. So, but it holds off a lot of these trades, that's for sure.
0: Um, like, like in the NBA, there are trades constantly because most contracts are tradable. Like they're just surface level. Like, do you want this player with this contract or not? Yes or no?
1: Well, and they have a lot of flexibility too with the, with the deal. Cause even when they're guaranteed these contracts in the NBA, you have the players will like, I hate my situation so much. That we'll just come to a settlement agreement on the rest of the contract and you guys can just tear it up and give me a little bit of money and we'll I'll I'll be a free agent at that point. You know, yeah, you're at right. the, the the free agency and, and just the ability to player movement opening in NBA is way more, way more fluid.
0: Yeah. Um like like we kind of saw that with Frank Clark too. Frank Clark kind of did that, but it's rare you see that. You're right.
1: Yeah. No, that, yeah, that was definitely really, it speaks to how bad the Broncos situation is. <laughs> that Frank yeah. was like, get me the hell out of here. But can't blame Frank too, because he knew he had Kansas City on the front burner. So he's like, oh, what would you rather do? Sit on your salary, make a couple extra million when you've already made probably 50 million in your career, or go get another chance at a ring and play, you know, that minimum. I mean, I'd, I'd probably do what he did there too, as well.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of feel, I wonder. I wonder if something like that is going to happen with Russ this offseason, because what if they go to him? I I've batted around this scenario in my head with like my Twitch chat before. So they get to the end of this season. Peyton calls Russ into his office and he's like, you're done here. Like, you're done. You're never playing for us again. I'm drafting Caleb or Drake May or whoever. You're going to be inactive for every game. If the starter gets hurt, we're going to play um, uh, Jared. If Jared gets hurt, we're going to play the punter. You're never playing for us again, no matter what. Either you can sit on the bench for the rest of the year because we can't afford to cut you. We literally can't. Or we can work out a buyout and you can go try to find another team. Like, what does Russ do if that's the scenario in front of him? Call their bluff. Mm-hmm. You think he just sits on the bench?
1: Yeah, because I, I, I'm i not certain. I've not had any yet. I've not yet have been presented to me from an evidence standpoint that Russ – uh, is more lean, it's more important for us to play than it is to get paid. And if you're talking, and Russ at no point in time in his career has ever left one red penny on the table, not one, not even a half a cent. And that includes the current Bronco deal that he signed. And I, I don't. Why would he bail them out when there's so much money due to come back to him? And I, they, no team in NFL history has ever done that. It's Just sat on the contract. You know, I if I'm Russ, I'm going. I would gamble on that and go. Yeah, you're bluffing. You're not going to do that. Yeah. You won't well, be the, willing to.
0: Do it. The thing is, I've actually been reading some stuff about this lately. The issue is because Denver gave out so much money in free agency this year, mm-hmm. they can't afford to release him.
1: Even if they it, post June first,
0: and uh, they might be able to barely, but they need to trade their players. That's why it's weird they're not dumping Judy and Sutton. Like these salaries are actually going to force them to keep Russ if they can't dump these guys who are taking up so much of the cap next year. like the uh the McGlinchy and Ben Power signings are even worse now, like mm. when you look at it through that perspective
1: i I don't think the problem here with it as hard as it'll be for them to do, and I'm, your all your points are absolutely salient ones in regards to how hard it will be because of the contracts they've given out. The thing with it that comes down to my mind, though, that will be the thing that drives this is that roster bonus he's due one week after the season's over. If he's still on the active roster, there's a monster bonus that kicks in at that time. And that, to me, is the driver here. Where do you want to embed yourself for more money with Russ now? Do you want to sign? If you're in your their situation, I know all the things you just said, but just absent that stuff, would you at this point, if you're the Broncos, sign yourself up for another $80 million, $50 million of guaranteed roster bonus that kicks in for him into the future at that point, making it harder into the future then still to release him. And I think that's going to drive him to cut him at that point.
0: Well, the thing is the dead cap, hit goes down with each year. I know the guarantees kick in, but the dead cap is still going to be less next year. So the scenario I'm presenting is like, what if they literally can't cut him? Like they want to, but they can't because it would actually take them over the cap. Because remember, they're going to be investing a ton of money into their draft pool as well, because they're going to have such a high pick uh, that rookies that they, they get is going to take up nine ten million 10 million in cap space easily. Mm-hmm. And apparently 10% of their franchise as well, potentially, if it's. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I would yeah. need to look at exactly their numbers on what guys were. What, where's Garrett Bowles' deal? How does this all you know settle out? But I, I think that they're going to look very hard at how fast can we get out of this Russ deal. I don't think that mm-hmm. they're looking at these returns the last couple of years and saying it's good to have him still being remaining on our roster for year three. This is this is successful. This has got a potential upside to it by him remaining here. Because that's the other part of this is that you can find a way to there's no point you're going to find a way to your spot of I can't get rid of a guy. You can get rid of somebody if you really want to do so. And if you don't want to do so, what is the upside to kicking him on the roster, especially with the extra $50 million? You know, he doesn't offer a lot of value as a player. He's shown it's not working there with Peyton. Peyton doesn't seem like he really wants him there. You know, what's that upside? And if there is no upside, then especially being that this team's nowhere close to con- competing, that's the part that we got to think about it too. Is if it's one of those things where they're going to cut off their nose to spite the face for next year to get up rid of Russ, well so what you ain't winning nothing anyway next year as it is right you take okay. that roster down to a cardinal state like it is right now it's probably for the better for their betterment to do that really because that'll turn their. And that's my thing on this is that you sign back up for Russ for that 50, 45, $50 million of roster bonus that kicks in. And you're right, maybe down the road, it makes you a little easier, but you're you're just keeping more married money to him. And what you want to start doing is go the opposite direction where you start to, let's start pulling and plying some of this Russell contract off the books instead of reinforcing it back on. And this is a guess, but I, I feel like they've got a lot of data that would tell them pretty, pretty strictly. This is what they want to do. And remember with Hackey last year, they didn't wait on that. You know, this Walton group didn't go, let's just sit on it and see how it goes. Like they're, they're going to be aggressive and and they'll, they'll make the moves that are necessary, even if they are painful. I think.
0: No, I, I think, I think they want to, I agree. And this is contingent on them not making these trades. I'm sure like, like the trade deadline is still not for another 12 days. No. uh i'm sure if they trade guys like judy and sutton and bowls and simmons it's they'll be able to cut wilson no problem yeah. and i'm sure that they'll be able to do that but i would love to see a game of chicken i would love to see that game of chicken that would be so much fun because you don't see that in the nfl pretty much ever
1: no 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 you know you do you very very rarely like i said it's never seen it happen before but they've also never been in quite, quite this situation either right where you have a quarterback that That has so quickly fallen off from what the team thought he was going to be and it's just put everybody in a weird state you know
0: yeah and they can also say like hey if you don't agree to a buyout we're going to make sure everybody in the world knows that you care more about money than playing football like like everybody in the world is going to hate you forever if this goes through and they're like what do you want more your money or your reputation it would be fun it would be a really fun off season if that happened
1: it would be really interesting I stand by my prediction. I think Russ would still sit there and not blink and just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm staying here because I don't know if I'm getting another contract if you guys release me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I tend to agree, but it would be interesting because if he actually, not saying they would go all the way there, but if he sat out a whole year on the bench, like I'm theorizing they would threaten him with, that, that's probably it. Like, like He would be like Deshaun Watson at that point. You haven't played football in too long. Like yeah. And you're 36,
1: done. you're 36 years old on top of it with the diminishing skill set. And yeah, I think that that would cook him up. But I think he makes that call too by saying, yeah, but I might, you guys might look at me that way anyway, right now, but I was cut on the street. That might be the general viewpoint of me anyway. I mean, maybe there's a team that gives them a job. Maybe not. I don't think that there's a guarantee that there's a team that's sitting out there just ready to go. Yep. Yeah, you're gonna be our guy next year.
0: Right. So, uh, could, should be pretty interesting. I've been reading some stuff about this contract stuff with Wilson. It's very, uh, interesting. Like the injury stuff, like he gets 40 million more if he gets hurt. So that's a a lot of, uh, Broncos fans have been saying we need to bench him right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that roster bonus. If he's on the roster and injury, like, so it's, yeah, that's, that's the, the, the concern there on it. And I, feel where they're coming from. If I was a Bronco fan, I'd want to be trying to get the hell out of this too, you know, but you're right. They're going to get the trades made. What's happened to Brendan here was this is that you got Judy, you got Sutton. I, I don't know about Simmons if this is the case. It's hard to typically get value for safeties unless you're Joel Adams in a trade. But those two receivers are at their lowest value right now. So moving them, you know, Broncos think they can get a second rounder for Judy back a year ago or a first rounder for Judy back a year ago. Now it's probably to like a fourth, fifth rounder at the most. And that's probably, they're like, well, what's the difference between us doing this move now and waiting and right up until the end of the deadline to make it? It's going to be the same price at that point.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah. doing like Judy in a seventh for a sixth round pick. Like I'm doing one of those yeah. little trades. So. I,
1: I think it's, that's fair. I think that's fair. I think it's fair with Corden Sutton, who's been not the same player since he tore his ACL a couple of years ago. So you, that's, yeah, I, I think you've got to make that call. And, they probably just don't want to. They probably are like, man, we thought we'd at least get a little something for these guys I mean, a little something, you know?
0: Yeah. Did, did you see him trying to disrupt a uh, Steve Smith's uh, broadcast on the sideline before the chiefs game? Yeah.
1: You yeah. saw that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it looks, it uh, looks childish and yeah. Steve Smith, you know, his comeback to him was, was, was proper and right. And it's just, you know, it's, it, you got to respect for all of the times. And, and I know these players don't like getting critiqued and have criticism put on them, but you know, when you have a guy that is criticizing you, that is a Hall of Fame wide receiver who plays your position and who played it for like 15 years, maybe you would listen to a little bit of what they have to say rather than just start popping off and, you know, talking your talking your smack or your noise back to him. But this is also maybe why Judy hasn't exactly taken off as a player.
0: Uh, Seattle Big Patty Daddy, thank you for the $2. Made my first two vids felt so awkward. Well, it is at first.
1: It's always that way, Seattle Big Patty. And that's why we were talking to you last time about you know, the quantity over quality approach because you can get caught up in your early videos on your channel of trying to just you know, get stuff really right and perfect when you just need to get, you just need to get the quantity up. You just need to keep producing content because the quality will come with it. The more you do, the better you'll get at it and you improve with time. And, uh, you know, Big Patty, if you need any, uh, you know, if you need any encouragement on this, you know, just go to either me or Brendan's channel and go back to our original videos, you know, our original couple videos on the channel. You know, I think in Brendan's case, it was probably better because you had a channel previously, I think. But in yeah. um, mine, you know, go back and watch mine. Mine are pretty rough, Big Patty. You know, it's definitely it wasn't the smoothest there. So it'll come with time, man. I promise you that. You just got to stay on it. Stay with it. Keep it going. And the yeah. smoothness will come with time.
0: Uh, Y2K, thank you for the two dollars. One sack, one interception, three tackles for loss, seven tackles, two passes defensed for Spoon Easy,
1: let's go. <laughs> we're winning the game if he does that. I'll tell you that. I, I don't need to see a lot of stat. Not as often, one stat line will probably tell me we're in the yeah. game, but if he's pulling off that, then uh, yeah, we're probably going to go. So,
0: obviously, Woolen's not off to the best start this year, neither is Sauce, right? Mm-hmm. Sauce, I think. Getting beat up a little bit so far this year. I'm not impressed. Mm -hmm. Um, so is Spoon in the all-pro conversation with some of these guys fading a little bit to the side?
1: Well, you also don't have any Jalen Ramsey this year, so that's that's a guy that's you know out there. Um all pro is hard for a rookie to get. It is. It's, it's, I know I know. Um, Sauce was able to get up in there last year, but it is one that is a little bit reputationally based as, as it tends to go. Tredavious Wide, another guy that got a major injury out there at Buffalo who might have been a guy in consideration at that spot, who's also out. So some of this could open this up a little bit for him. Um, I think Darius Slay is getting a little older out there with the Eagles, another guy that's been kind of that guy for a while. So Yeah. I don't got, think
0: Bradbury's been as good.
1: No. So I, I think that, that there's, it, there's, a, there's an opening here that there hasn't been in recent years past where there is a lot of good corners out there throughout the league that are who have the reputation that, you know, rookies not going to overcome. And he's having such a flashy start that it's kind of undeniable to at least put him in contention for it there.
0: Sertan's good, but he should be disqualified because he plays on the worst defense in the league. Like you, 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 you can't play on a defense that bad and be an all first team all pro.
1: He's really good, though. I, I don't he know, is, man. He's he is probably the best corner in the sport when it's all said and done. You know, bottom line. But uh, yeah, that's that's maybe a fair point on your part.
0: Yeah, I don't know how Jair Alexander is doing this year, but uh, he's a guy who made second team last year.
1: He tends to be very solid. I haven't been watching him close either, but he does tend to be another guy that's will certainly have that reputation behind him.
0: Kind of off topic, but do you have any idea how Stingley's doing in Houston?
1: Um. I don't. I When I've checked in on him a couple times, the PFF ratings have been pretty brutal, to be honest with you. Really? So um, let's see where he's at right now. Um, I don't know if maybe he's rounding in, but the Texans' defense has been getting better. Yeah, he's at uh, – so he's not played a lot. Really? Four, okay. four targets, two receptions this year so far, and only eight solo tackles, so he's definitely not been playing – Very often, because
0: right before the draft in 2022, most of the smoke was pointing towards Seattle targeting Stingley. I remember this, yeah. And then he went way before we picked, so it didn't matter. But there was reason to believe we loved him.
1: He's uh, it's pretty clear what is showing up so far. Last year, 64 grade, 69 coverage, so he's a cover guy. The this year, the coverage grades down to 49. He's only played in two games so far. So sample size data like nothing else. But the thing that stands out to me that I think would have been bad for us in bringing him in here that would have not have gone away with Coach Carroll that would have been problematic is 39 run defense grade last year, 43 run defense grade so far this year. So, you know, that's not good that's 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 troublesome when you want we're going to want our corner you know what corners to tackle in this day and age you can't get around to like you used to do because so many offenses like McVay's Rams or Shanahan's Niners they will they'll bring down that receiver and they'll have him take out the defensive end or linebacker and leave your cornerback one-on-one on the back and so if you have a guy that can't tackle one-on-one like that and uh, that does seem to be a bit the case there with Stanley so far that's that's troublesome um so he's not Tapped into that top fifteen pick rate as of yet, you know. Certainly, he's worn top him.
0: five. I think
1: was he top? Yeah, I guess he was top five. So yeah, yeah. not uh, not. It was that pro day that got him. He he had that one pro day, but he was worrisome to me. Brendan, remember looking at him was he had his best year as a what as a freshman, and then two years of middling play, and every everything was about that freshman year of tape that you were going off of, and it just wasn't altogether that encouraging, you know, like, man, I'm, I'm worried about this. I want his strongest tape to be in his final year in his end year in college.
0: Yeah. Um, I, uh, that, that's one thing that kind of makes this spoon pick all the more amazing that he's already this good because in recent years, highly drafted corners kind of feel like a crapshoot. It's not like, like wide receiver. I feel like most of the guys who have been high picks at wide receiver have been panning out lately. Like mm-hmm. if on the first round, maybe even the first, you know round and a half it's worked out but corner you've seen guys like stingley and also jeff okuda and there have been a couple other guys as well who have just kind of disappeared they've been irrelevant in the nfl and for so this was not a sure thing this is not a this was not a pure blue chipper and he's already this good it's kind of amazing
1: Certainly is. Um, I, I think that it speaks to you are getting like and like Stingley's played his strongest ball in college at the end and kept getting better and better and better and better, which lets you look at the trajectory and maybe see that trajectory going that way. I think the thing that separates Will Witherspoon a little bit too from some of the other cornerbacks out there and even including Akuda, was there was really a feeling of a consensus out there from the national perspective across the sport of this guy is that good? He is this worthy of being this pick. And um, that maybe gave us a little bit more of this is a bit of a different cat than some of these other guys that have rolled through here recently and have flamed out and flamed out very fast. So uh, I I think it just speaks to how impressive that tape was last year, Brennan. So many of those pros, so many of those guys who had played in the sport, former cornerbacks, guys that are now doing YouTube channels, that when they talked about Witherspoon, talked about him versus, let's say, talking about Gonzalez in this draft, the other cornerback, there was a sort of a glint to their eye. I always go back to the Rondé Barber quote when watching him do the two breakdowns between Gonzalez and Witherspoon and looking at him. And he's talking about him and he starts off and he goes, you know, yeah, Gonzalez is probably better than Witherspoon. But then he spends the whole time kind of talking about all the things he likes and he spends a couple of things that, he, that Witherspoon needs to clean up on. But then he gets to the end of it and they say, well, which one would you rather have? And he's like, Witherspoon. <laughs> and go, wait, wait, hold on. He said at the front though that the other guys, thats it's that there's something about this. It could be the thing like with Carol talking about the Troy Palomalo vibes that he was getting off of him. There was something, you know, coming off of him that, that was just a little bit different than some of these other cornerbacks and what they brought. Like Okuda coming out was like a – He was like a try-hard overachiever technician type, you know? It wasn't that he was super twitchy or that he was really able to just be so fast. It was that he had – Ohio State knew how to train their cornerbacks, knew how to get them technically refined down to a a super umpteenth point. But he was also tapped out from a physical potential standpoint, you know? He'd he'd reached his end of the line.
0: Right. Uh, By the way, Christian Gonzalez was actually looking really good too before he got hurt. So he was hated him. I I really like Christian Gonzalez.
1: Me too. I think those two were the, the were your two, even above Forbes, who was also taking the first round, those were your two, one and two cornerbacks, and clearly so in this past draft. Gonzalez was a pure zone guy. He was a guy that you could not play in man, in my opinion, and he was not a guy that liked to tackle anywhere in the neighborhood or vicinity as much as Witherspoon did, but really good ball skills and uh, long, big. He brought that to play, so there were some good spots that he had on the other side of it too.
0: Uh, C.J. Henderson, by the way, another top 10 pick bust.
1: Yeah, that's right. Another another guy in that Akuda draft.
0: Yeah. Y2K, uh, thank you for the $2. Trade two first-round picks for Patrick Sertan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would have the best secondary ever. You would, but uh, I think we're good oh. with what
1: we have. Oh, I see. Yeah, oh, I see. So you, you do, uh, yeah, you do Trey Brown in a... I don't know. No, yeah, you know, you'd have to probably try to find a way to include Trey Brown in the pick too to maybe offset it where it be a first and a second. I don't think it'd take you two firsts to get it done. Patrick's about due to be paid after the season. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I don't think
0: he's, I don't think he's worth two firsts. I know he's really yeah. good, but he's, you know, he's a cornerback. He's not a quarterback here. Yeah. And he's about to get paid. Like I, I think he's worth one first at least, but I, I think that if the Broncos get two firsts out of him, then, uh, Shout out to uh George they Patton. We should do that all day. Something. Yeah. Shout out to George Patton for doing something really good out the door.
1: Yeah, if you if you get two first round picks from any team for, for Super 10, that's that's tremendous value. I agree with you, Brendan. I don't think that I know that was the kind of the peck the the price for Jalen back a couple of years ago. I just don't think it'd be um what you're gonna have to pay here though either with this with Patrick well,
0: they took advantage of a desperate team right Jacksonville yeah. took advantage of a Rams team that was like oh my god we have to win the Super Bowl right now
1: yeah exactly no no exactly so so I yeah um in which way is Trey Brown's playing as good as he is it's just not that wouldn't even be a deal even if it was on the table would be impossible that you'd have to yeah. feel like you got to make because he's he's got another cheap year of club control after this year which is going to come in handy yeah
0: you know the Seahawks would never give up two first round picks for a defensive back though right?
1: never that that is an impossibility it's a zero percent of zero percent chance
0: all right so yeah cardinals defense it's pretty bad we should be able to throw on them we should be able to run on them we should be able to do whatever (laughs) so i uh i don't have anything else to say about them they're they're bad
1: they're bad. I, I w- there'll be other matchups we can talk about this year next ma- next week's matchup against Cleveland and a lot of different things that, that we have done pack in that game and deals to look at. This one isn't that way and it's just one that is kind of a simplified matchup as you're going to get the NFL and how this is drawn up, especially coming on the back Brendan of us off, off of a loss wanting to get right at home. You know, it's it, it's a get right game and I think that we're going to take out some frustration from last week on this team, especially offensively speaking.
0: So oh, uh give me a score then.
1: I'm gonna go um I'm gonna go thirty-four to let's go with uh sixteen.
0: I'm gonna say I'm gonna say twenty-four to ten. Like I'm it. a little worried about this offensive line still not allowing us to get to our full potential. But I'm trusting this defense a pretty good amount right now.
1: Me as well. Me as well. I think that what they've done the past two weeks, Brendan, has been legit. I'm not saying you've not said this either, that it's an elite crew now that this makes them that. But I think that their upside is much more improved than what we thought. And uh, I'm really excited right now, Brendan, to see where this defense can get to with how they played the past couple of weeks. It's got me as much as excited about anything about this team right now. The way the defense is playing has been a huge surprise to me. One of the big early surprises for me on the Seahawks team so far, and I would love them to see them continue to, you know, stack these performances up, even against a tough, even against a relatively, you know, easy Cardinal offense theoretically to go for playing at home.
0: All right, so I think that's really all there is to talk about here. Uh, Cardinals have a pretty good kicker so far this year, by the way. I guess so. There's that, but uh, they've had two different punters, so I guess somebody got hurt. And I didn't notice, but, uh, not not much else to say. Um, yeah. So I, I think, uh, we've covered everything we need to cover. Thank you everybody for showing up tonight. We got over 200 people in the stream right now. Thank you for watching.
1: Appreciate you.
0: Um, we've got a game this weekend and we will be back next week with uh, Brandon. Thank you for coming out and doing this with me tonight.
1: Appreciate you having me, man. As ever.
0: All right. So, um, I, I I uh, next week's show on Tuesday by the way may be pushed back by an hour. It's not yet clear but it's possible we start on Tuesday at eight just to adjust your hypothetical calendars accordingly if people use calendars anymore <laughs> AI and, mm-hmm, and look um we got a great opportunity here to assert ourselves in a very positive manner this weekend and I know some of you guys are a little bit down right now. I know that Bengal's game it took some people out of it. And I get it, and I I understand, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. This is a good team. This is a team that has the opportunity to do some very special things this season still. Uh, they are doing special teams as we speak right now in their own way. They just got to actually make sure to turn that into a win at the end of the game. And um, we, got, we got this great opportunity here to uh, – Start seizing control of the narrative with the upcoming schedule. You've got some very winnable games coming up. And since you guys are feeling a little apathetic right now, I feel like I feel like there's just a little bit of apathy in this fan base. People are like, "Uh, OK, Seahawks football. We, we It's got to be said. It's really important right now. I think it's extra important at the moment.
1: And remember, folks, we're not reminding you of this blindly. If we thought, and we were in an apathetic spot, if we were in a down on spot, both me and Brendan have been perfectly fine with being open and honest with you guys when we thought there's some issues with this team to talk about. Our encouragement is not blindly so, but it's based on our evaluation of the team and looking at this as closely as you possibly can and come away with it going, no, we are encouraged. This is how we truly feel. It ain't Homerism. It's this is where we're seeing all of the arrows pointing up from our standpoint of things.
0: So... We're going to hit it and then we're going to get out of here and we will see you next week. Go Let Hawks.
1: Roll Go. Go Hawks.